0: Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. The musical world was shaken in October 2022 when news broke out of Jeff Nuttall's passing. Jeff was the founding first violinist of the St. Lawrence String Quartet, an ensemble that has enchanted audiences worldwide since 1989 and served as ensemble in residence at stanford university since 1998. i myself even remember as a teenager seeing the quartet back in new zealand about 20 years ago the quartet's reach is global the saint lawrence's co-founding violist leslie Robson joins me in this episode reminiscing about jeff including his incredible energy his connection with audiences plus the musical work that is the most fitting musical epitaph. Here's Leslie. Leslie, uh, thank you for joining me today on the Strad Podcast. So we're here to talk a little bit about the St. Lawrence String Quartet, as well as your good friend and co-founder of the quartet, violinist Jeff Nuttall, And I do remember, you know, the musical world was shaken last October at the news of his passing. And since then, the quartet has prepared two recordings for upcoming release, one of Haydn Opus 76 quartets, The Emperor and the Sunrise, as well as the Korngold Piano Quintet. So it's just a nice chance for you to share your memories of Jeff. Can you tell me, because... You two were the co-founders of the quartet in 1989. What are your earliest memories of him, you know, musically, but also non-musically as well?
1: (laughs) Oh, well, first of all, thank you for this opportunity to reminisce about Jeff, such a pivotal and critical part of my life and so many others. So I appreciate the opportunity. Early memories of Jeff? Well, we first met as teenagers in a music camp in Canada and he was always bigger than life as a 16, 17-year-old. He was, uh, you know, always on the move, had more energy than anybody you could possibly imagine, and living large even from those days. We started playing together a few years later in Banff, the summer festival there. I don't know, he just had all the, all the passion and all the energy that you might imagine in a 16-year-old who was just taking life by the horns, taking every opportunity to uh, experience things. so it was great, great energy.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a first violinist kind of has to have that larger than life energy. <laughs> Would you agree? Would you say that he, he brought that energy into the group as well? Yeah. I think over the arc of his um,
1: professional career he learned to harness that in ways which you know made his music making richer, made his connections with other people richer. You know, one of the things that pulled us together in the four original members of the quartet was this shared consuming passion for the world of string quartet and chamber music. And of course, when you have four hearts and brains together in a room with that kind of commitment, there's a lot of fire that happens. So we learned how to speak to each other and how to, you know, try to be more constructive and use that energy in positive ways. One of the great privileges that I think of, or I know of being having that time with him is seeing him mature as a man, as an artist, and to become more powerful, more effective, and to hone his skills over those years. And I know that he had the same close-up view of my life. Living in a string quartet with another person, it's, it's very difficult to describe because there are no traditional words or descriptions that match the experience. But, uh, you know, part sibling spouse part business partner part you know it covers all of the dimensions
0: yeah it's quite a unique relationship the quartet members and there has to be a really particularly effective synergy between all the members do you remember or or have any particular highlights musical highlights perhaps you know an early work that you played with Jeff that you remember or something that you feel he really specialised in bringing that energy into his music making.
1: Well, of course, through the whole part of our time together, he was very passionate about Haydn, of course, and it was a very sincere, ground-up appreciation, which grew, you know, as, we, as he matured. He had a way of connecting with audiences and with just people, and to sort of do a kids' show with him was very rewarding. We played at a, a women's prison in Alaska, that was really life changing for us to be able to connect with the people there. So on stage, there were, you know, countless moments where you've, I I personally would feel like I'm on a magic carpet a little bit, you know, just jumping on, you know, there were also memorable moments that went awry that will go down in the, our mental (laughs) history books, (laughs) things that didn't quite go according, according to plan with mishaps backstage, you know, forgetting Concert pants or showing up with the wrong <laughs> shoes or having different music, which we all have gone through. But musically, it, it's hard to note you know specific moments that were uh, more you know gratifying than others. But certainly, that his ability to read a room and to be able to connect with people. You know, a lot of people play the violin well. A lot of quartets are, are great and exciting to listen to. But what I found particularly special about Jeff's playing was how He was so focused on the emotional message and on the importance of how the performer's duty mission was to take the coded message from the page and just like inject it right into the heart of the listener. And that's really what we're here for. So you need that strong ego to be able to feel like you could do that, but then also understand that you're the messenger
0: and that's quite a humbling position to be in isn't it because you as you mentioned having that ego to really display and and present something to the audience to connect with them but also remember it's it's not just about you it's about what was on the page what the composer's intentions were I actually remember seeing you guys perform in New Zealand
1: oh wonderful
0: I think it was around 2003 we were
1: lucky enough to do that tour several times I want to say maybe three times Mm -hmm. um most recently probably in 2010 maybe Mm -hmm. I remember uh, not on stage but a specific (laughs) situation where we arrived at a small regional airport and they had no rooms for the instruments oh great (laughs) three of us piled on the airplane and Jeff rented a small (laughs) k-car I think it was a little tiny like Mr. Bean vehicle and we stuffed all the instruments (laughs) and he drove the six hours or whatever it was to our next stop and
0: Oh, that's very brave, (laughs) tackling rural roads in New Zealand with valuable instruments, I'm sure.
1: He loved it. But no, New Zealand was always a a real favourite of ours. Great experience.
0: I think part of the reason why I remember that concert was because I would have been a teenager at that point, around 2003, nearing the Mm. end of high school. And that was when I started going to a lot of quartet recitals and symphony orchestra concerts as well. One thing I do remember is the fact that you guys actually spoke to the audience mm. and that's you know a really important thing about audience interaction and engagement is that you know you're speaking before about making sure that you're serving the composer and getting that message across to the audience it's mm. not just about turning up on stage and replicating the notes that you see on the page exactly he used to say
1: occasionally in master classes if anybody's noticing what a wonderful violinist you are you're missing the point I <laughs> <That> should be <laughs> It should be moved by the music, not the fact that you're playing the instrument really well.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, he
1: developed his own style over the years and became wonderfully effective by taking, and this is the way we do in life as we borrow uh, great ideas from others and we make it our own. I know students often come to me and think, oh, I could never, I have no understanding of how to speak to audiences. And Jeff had such great style. And I remind him that He wasn't so great at the beginning like any of us. There were many uh, memorable moments that didn't go so well, but he ended up developing a a very effective style over the course of 30 years. And um, thankfully we had, you know, the early 10 years, we had the first 10 years for him to workshop and develop those skills and so it's great to see him on stage I think there are a few people who I think speak as effectively as,
0: as he did so mm. and you had a front row seat witnessing the development of that we used to give him a hard time too, oh really backstage <laughs> yeah of course maybe that's, that's what... why he got better <laughs> <laughs> I mean in a teasing way
1: but, uh, yeah
0: we mentioned before um, these upcoming recordings that Mm. the quartet has coming out. And I know that you've described the opening of the Sunrise Quartet Mm. as a poignant epitaph to Jeff. They're also his final recordings. You know, how do you feel about these, you know, post recording and, you know, going back and and listening to these pieces, you know, playing with him for the last time?
1: Oh, I'm so grateful we had the opportunity to do them. They were Scheduled before we knew, before he knew of its catastrophic diagnosis, and um, while he was sorting out the early stages of treatment, uh, the the dates stayed on the calendar. I think we just even I won't say we forgot they were there, but they we certainly weren't giving them any sort of priority or anything. And then as they they started to approach, we thought, let's let's do this, and and if Jeff wanted to do it, let's do it. And He was absolutely totally. It was really remarkable. I mean, the one hand, he wanted absolutely no acknowledgement, not in the terms of burying the situation, but while he was playing music, was all about the music. And I think also getting, well, I know that also being pulled into the adrenaline of the moment and being transported by the music was a great moment of relief for him. You know, from all the physical distresses and everything else. So, as unwell as he was during those sessions, I know that it, it took him to a place which. It, provided some reprieve for his situation. It was wonderful to hear him play. You know, everything was hanging in the air, so we knew, you know, the gravity of the situation. But just to hear him take the same and greater risks with phrasing, with mm. new expressions, we so would linger a little bit more on a moment that he might not have in the past, or that seemed new to my ears, you know, a little bit more in indulgent but not in a sentimental way it just seemed very sincere and uh, very real in the moment
0: acknowledging the finite nature of life especially when you know it's potentially coming to the end well I mean all of us have got a finite amount of time on this earth but really acknowledging that and I think that's something quite interesting to learn about music making is making sure that it actually means something nothing like a situation like that to make you realise, put an in order in, in your head, your musical intentions.
1: Mm. Yes, I. he would never say that he was you know, reflecting on his mortality when he was playing those points. It was very much about just being in the moment and nobody was thinking what is coming down the pipeline at that moment. It was just gratitude for having this time together to be able to have this amazing music and to have the the time to like really explore a moment in time, a moment in harmony, a moment in conversation between voices. So I think that's what made it special. the, The noise in the head about, well, what airplane are we getting on tomorrow? And what program do we have to deliver? That was silenced. The catastrophic diagnosis was paused, you know, for those few precious days. So the music went into the recording world, you know, um, vault the way it does after you're finished a recording. I think none of us really thought about it too much. Maybe a couple months after Jeff's death, there was the thought, like, we should pull these out and see what's captured.
0: Yeah, these musical snapshots. I mean, it's almost like discovering a photo of someone um, that you you hadn't seen.
1: Exactly, yeah. To be able to hear him in those moments now is very special. To hear them with perspective of time Mm. and uh, having passed and then also what has transpired since then and then looking at the arc of the experience, the life experience. Yeah, they're truly special.
0: And can I also ask, so I understand the quartet's taking a hiatus for the year, is that right? Yes. How are you spending your time before you start up again?
1: We're playing together, we're playing uh, with others. Some of us are some taking just a little more calm in life. We are very fortunate to have a wonderful institution supporting us in this time so we don't feel uh, driven to make quick moves um, yeah. in terms of you know what the future holds so that's a tremendous gift and um, I think it's also a very necessary and kind of it's an acknowledgement of the unique and irreplaceable contribution and experience we've had with Jeff so I think it's really important to have that time
0: yeah and enjoy the time enjoy the moment as you were saying before like with music making it's about being in that moment and just not thinking about what happens beyond
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know even with this amount of time that's passed it's really still hard to get the brain around the the Mm. completeness of the experience with Jeff and with the quartet and he was a very a both deeply emotional, completely unsentimental person. So I think, you know, he would really hate that this kind of post-existent reflection is happening about oh, no. him, <laughs> honestly. Um, you know, he characterized his departure, He would his potential memorial or whatever. He was like, no, no, I mean, if you have to have something, call it an after party. Uh, right. A know, celebration. So- Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even celebration of life, he was like, no, 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 no. no." (laughs) So, but, you know, I think at the same time, he would be the first person to, uh, you know, to be able to tell stories about the experience. And so,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing your thoughts on someone who's clearly a very remarkable and poignant musical figure um, in your life and in the lives of many others. Thank you. That was Leslie Robertson of the St. Lawrence String Quartet. You're listening to the Sunrise Haydn Quartet, which features on the St. Lawrence's new release of That and the Emperor Quartet on a new album. And as mentioned earlier, they have a new release of the Korngold Piano Quintet with pianist Stephen Pritzman. And don't forget to check out thestrad.com where you'll find the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students. And if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. It'll help other people discover this podcast. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye. Thank you.